Welcome into NSN Daily. I'm Brian Samudio, Anthony Resnick directing behind the scenes, Chris Murray with me, and Alex Margulies on assignment today. A lot to talk about. Of course, it's Wednesday. That means Murray's mailbag, your questions, Chris's answers. And I, I always say Chris is the one who, who needs to invest in ibuprofen because there's usually a headache at the end of how many words for this one? Uh, 5,090, but Monday was a rough one. I think I wrote nine stories, about 11,000 words. And uh, I actually did end up Googling, can you go blind from looking at a computer? So <laughs> it told me no, and <laughs> I can still see. So, uh, But you mentioned ibuprofen. I did actually take a couple of those yesterday. Uh, so uh, we're in good shape though. And uh, it was a fun mailbag for sure. As much as I try and rein him in folks, I can't. I tell Chris, dude, take a day off, man. Relax for a second. We, we got you. He won't. He doesn't listen to me. Uh, we'll continue our uh, alphabetical uh, previews and profiles of Nevada men's basketball. Daniel Foster, a young man out of Australia, is uh, our preseason uh, uh, profile for today. A Mountain West Conference preseason poll is out. Nevada has been picked sixth, right in the middle of the field in that one. Uh, we'll ask Chris where his pick was. Uh, the Masters, I'll have to show this again. John Rahm with a, a ridiculous shot on a par three Tuesday there. And uh, We'll uh, let you know what their fans' policy is going to be. And a former member of the San Francisco Giants is suing his old team. We'll tell you why. That's coming up. And then, of course, Veterans Day, we're going to talk about you know, just how much we, uh, we, we want to celebrate uh, our veterans on this show. But uh, let's start off uh, Wolfpack football, wrapping for New Mexico. Uh, before we get to more on the Lobos, Chris, uh, this has really changed things up for Nevada when it comes to their procedure, just their daily how they get through their daily lives is the new protocols when it comes to COVID. Um, you went into this in depth on NevadaSportsNet.com. Uh, this changes a lot. Yeah, so right after Nevada's game on Thursday against Utah State, Washoe County lowered the maximum gathering limit from 250 people to 50 people, and that obviously impacts a football team. Nevada had been able since late September to practice as a full team. They could have everybody out on the practice field, but since this new policy went in place, Basically, they have to practice special teams together with a limited group, and then the offense stays uh, on one field, the defense goes to another field, and they have to practice completely separately. And uh, Nevada, probably for about 40% of its practices, will go one versus ones because you want the best competition against each other. Uh, obviously, they use some scout teams and things like that, but Jay Norvell did say that this has had a huge impact on how they're able to prepare for a game and beyond practice. I'm looking forward to November 14th. That's when Nevada is supposed to host San Diego State in what should be a huge Mountain West matchup. Uh, if this policy is still in place and they don't allow any change to it, Nevada might not be able to host that game. There's no way you can play a football game with only 50 people on the uh, in the field. So um, certainly something to track moving forward. Washoe County has said on a case-by-case -case basis, they might make some exemptions and exceptions to that policy. And uh, we'll see if they do uh, against San Diego State in two weekends, obviously the, the focus right now is playing New Mexico uh, and they have had to change some of their practice regiments, but um, will Nevada be able to host football games moving forward is a big question for this program. Well, now my question is, and I don't know if, I, I don't have the answer to this, is Clark County, you know, because if Nevada's going to play New Mexico at Sam Boyd Stadium on Saturday, I don't know what Clark County's restrictions are. Do you? Yeah, so two, still at 250. So that was the governor's order September 29th. He moved it up uh, from 10 up to 250 and Washoe County went along with it. Obviously, we've had this huge spike, our seven day rolling figure about above uh, 300 new cases a day. So Kevin Dick, the Washoe County health officer, decided to move it back down to 50, which he's allowed to do because local uh, restrictions can uh, overstep 
state restrictions. So um, everything is on track for the Las Vegas game. And I do think that Washoe County will probably give an exemption to Nevada football. Uh, you haven't seen any outbreaks specifically tied to the Wolfpack playing its first two home games. Um, I think there'd be a lot of backlash, a lot of bad PR if they tell them they have to go play this important game down in San Diego. Uh, actually, San Diego is playing in Carson, California, though. So everybody is kind of in a different location than they're used to. Um, but it's definitely something Nevada is going to have to ask for and get granted if they're going to be able to host their last two home games this season. Jay Norvell, Nevada head football coach, uh, spoke about these new protocols when it comes to COVID. And here's part of that interview from his press conference earlier this week. We've had to do that several times uh, through this whole fall training. Uh, you know, earlier in the in the fall, we had the same restrictions, and then it was lifted for a while. So, yeah, we have to split up practice, and so we can't meet as a team. Uh, you know, all the things that we've been so used to doing. And, and I think that's one of the hardest things is that we play a team sport. Um, and right now we can't even meet with our whole team in the same room. Uh, even if it's a giant room that you're a lot, you can do social distancing because of the gatherings of 50 or less. And, and so now, yeah, what we do is we practice we practice special teams. We get all the guys on the field and practice special teams. And then the defense goes to their own field. The offense is on their own field. So our team is split up. And so, yeah, it's totally changed how we practice. I mean, normally in a normal practice, we would work against each other, offense and defense, and try to make it more competitive. Um, and we're just not able to do that right now. And so... You know, the thing that I hate is is that, um, you know, there's certain times a week, like on a Monday, when you have to review a game and make everybody accountable for their play, you need a team meeting. You know, on Friday night before the game, you need a team meeting. And, and um, you know, we're just not able to do that right now. And so it's challenging and it's part of, um, you know, one of the many challenges of this 2020 season. Um, just trying to function and operate and keep everybody on the same page and get the type of practice work you need to be able to play good. You know, I, I've said it a thousand times and I say it to everybody here, you know, the games take care of themselves. If we can practice the way we need to practice and get good quality work and have everybody's attention and, and, and be prepared, well, then we can play good. But when we when we're not able to practice, if we don't have the facility to practice, if we don't have the time or, or the ability to be together, that's really hard to play good when 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 those things happen. And so, you know, I, I never fight for anything as hard as as just being able to practice. I mean, as, as, as a coach. And so we're really trying to find creative ways to be prepared and. Um, but we haven't, you know, we just went under those new restrictions again this week. And so we've had to do that. We did it today. We, we practiced on two different practice fields. Uh, defense was on one field. The offense was on another. Just to stay with under, under those boundaries of 50 or less. Yeah, I mean, it just it just seems like everything is continues to change day by day. We started to see, okay, we can have fans. No, now you can't have fans. It's limited amounts. I was watching uh, Mac football last night. That's how desperate I am for college football on a Tuesday night is when I'm watching the the big Akron game. And Akron hasn't won a game in two years. But uh, it, it it's amazing to me to look at just how different 
states, different counties are handling this. And I, I praise Washoe County for what they've what they've been doing. But, you know, at the same time, when I say something like that, I know somebody's going, well, why are they letting all these people into casinos? You know, but then it becomes more of a political thing and we don't do politics. Uh, let's get back to football. Uh, we're going to talk about Rocky Long, uh, his defense, you know, former San Diego State great coach and what he's done with that defense at, at New Mexico. That I think is getting very, very overshadowed down there with the Lobos. But the problem with the Lobos, too, is uh, – the offense, I mean, this is not a good football team, but um, offensively, does this team scare you at all? I think they're going to pose more problems with their offense than with their defense. You look at New Mexico last year, they ranked last in the nation in pass defense. They're last in the nation in pass defense this year, and about a second the best in pass offense. So I think the Wolfpack offense should have no trouble moving the ball and scoring as long as it doesn't have turnovers and as long as it executes. I do think that Lobo uh, offense will give Nevada's defense a little bit of a challenge. We've talked about on the show that Nevada's defense has kind of been overshadowed how good it's been because the offense has performed so well. But you're talking about them facing teams that were not very advanced and they were somewhat one-sided offensively. New Mexico has a little bit more balance. They want to run the ball, but they have some pretty good wide receivers and they get ball, uh, get the ball down the field. So um, that, that's the more interesting matchup to me. I mean, I would be shocked if Nevada didn't put up 35 plus points offensively uh it's just can the wolfpack defense continue to keep the big plays away and i think that's been the biggest improvement for this defense under new coordinator brian ward they're not giving up big plays now they're letting teams move the ball a little bit um you know we kind of talked about they're going to play this press man-to-man defense on the outside and they haven't necessarily done that um, because they haven't had to they've been able to make teams go 10 to 12 uh, plays on their drive and then Typically, there's a penalty or some kind of turnover or something that short circuits that drive. So um, that's the more intriguing matchup for me. They have a pretty veteran quarterback, but this is definitely going to be a defensive team in the future. Their yeah. coach, Danny Gonzalez, was the defensive coordinator coming up through the ranks. Rocky Long, to me, is probably the best head coach in the Mountain West, and he just decided to step away from San Diego State because he actually wanted to teach guys and work with players. So he went back to his alma mater to coach the defensive guys. Just personnel-wise, New Mexico is further advanced on the offensive side, so that poses a little bit more of a problem. Yeah, I guess that's a better way of saying it is that they have a great defensive mind there who down the line, because he doesn't have the athletes that he had at San Diego State. I mean, I, I think at San Diego State, you, there's just a different level of athlete that you get to go to San Diego State. I mean, especially at, at running back, they seem to churn out running backs that are absolute studs every single year. But yeah, that secondary is very, very porous. But watching them in the trenches, it wasn't it wasn't as bad as the secondary. You know, that, I guess that's a better way, a better way of putting it. Um, how much do you think this change of moving to Sam Boyd Stadium affects New Mexico? I mean, for Nevada, it's a road game is a road game. It's, it's even a shorter flight. How much do you think it affects the Lobos? I think it's a good thing for them because there's just been so much uncertainty around that program. When we talk about these uh, COVID restrictions in New Mexico, they can only gather in five people groups. Uh, so it can be much, much worse. And Washoe County actually has a higher positive rate than they do down there in Albuquerque. So uh, the Wolfpack has been pretty fortunate. They've been able to practice pretty normally. They were able to practice uh, even during the period where the Mountain West said they were going to play football in the spring because uh, President Mark Johnson said, that's okay, you guys keep practicing. Uh, with New Mexico, it's just been so crazy that they don't know whether they're going to play a game. They don't know whether uh, they can even practice from day to day. So just being able to go down to Las Vegas, have a pretty regular schedule, know that you're going to practice every day, know that you have a home for the future. Obviously, classwork doing it online uh, a little bit easier than necessarily going in person. So I think it's a positive for them just because they have more certainty at this point. 
Um, you know, whereas before, they, like I said, they literally didn't even know if they'd be able to practice, let alone play games. So it's probably a good thing for them. They are coming back from a trip to Hawaii, and sometimes that will drain you for sure. Um, there are not going to be any fans allowed in at Sam Boyd Stadium, pro or con, for New Mexico or against New Mexico. So there's not going to be much of a home field advantage either way. And for Nevada, I mean, Nevada's been fortunate with this schedule. It's going to go five weeks into the season and never leave the state of Nevada. It's going to be three home games, a game against UNLV in Vegas, a game against New Mexico in Vegas. So they've been able to limit travel, just focus on their task at hand. So, um, you know, they've had a pretty nice start to this season in terms of scheduling and practicing, and they've certainly showed it on the field by backing that up with how they've played these first three games. I mean, this is this is like Texas sort of stuff. This is Clemson sort of stuff where they don't have to go anywhere further than 400 miles away from home. Yeah, I mean, that. Nevada never gets that sort of treatment, but uh, it, to me, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to see what this line does in the next couple of days. I don't know. I don't know that you're going to see a lot of people throw crazy money on it. It has spread Nevada's way to 17 and a half uh, over under 63. I might take Nevada and the over in this one, because, you know, you talk about the pack being able to put up points. I mean, they, they can fall asleep and put up 40 points right now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I like Nevada with the line. I think the one thing that New Mexico does and Rocky Long's defenses have done is they do create turnovers because they do that 3-3 stack. They have five secondary players. You don't know where the blitzes are coming. That's going to test the, uh, the Nevada offensive line, which is improved, but I wouldn't say it's a super above average group. Um, and that's been a big strength of Carson Strong, right? If he goes out and he throws 20 passes in this game, he'll break Derek Carr's record in the Mountain West for consecutive uh, passing attempts without an interception. So one thing Nevada has not done is turn the ball over. So they've not put themselves in bad situations, but New Mexico's defense is predicated on creating those turnovers. That's what they did at San Diego State under Rocky Long. And they've done it the first couple of games, even though they're not stopping guys. I mean, Nevada's going to get its yards. It's just, if it doesn't turn the ball over, I'm with you. I mean, I think the line started at 14 is up to around 17 or 18. Uh, I would go even higher than that, just based on the Nevada passing game against New Mexico uh, pass defense. I think that's such an advantage for Nevada. Uh, you know, I'd probably put Romeo Dubs over under on total yards in this game around 160. So um, I think they're going to have a really, really big game as long as they don't make the mistakes. And so far this season, they haven't made those mistakes. Uh, this is going to be on uh, Fox Sports 2 on Saturday afternoon at Sam Boyd Stadium if you want to check it out. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, uh, Daniel Foster is our next Wolfpack men's basketball player to be profiled by Chris Murray. We'll uh, tell you about the young man from Down Under next. College basketball season right around the corner for the Wolfpack men and women. And Chris is uh, diligently going through his player profiles alphabetically this time around. Uh, Daniel Foster, 6'6", out of Australia. Yeah, really fun player. He's kind of the mystery man of this recruiting class because, as you mentioned, he does come from Australia. That's an area that Steve Alford has mined quite a bit during his career at New Mexico. He got Hugh Greenwood, an all-Mountain West player. He got Cam Barstow, who ended up being a Mountain West player of the year and was a draft pick by the Chicago Bulls and played in the NBA. And now they go out there and get Daniel Foster, as you mentioned, a six-foot-six player. I mean, he can literally play anything from point guard down to power forward if he puts on a little bit of weight down in the future. And I think that's what Nevada liked about him. He had been in Australia up until this last year. He moved overseas. Uh, and played for a club team over in Oakland. And Nevada was actually out there looking at a different player for a prolific prep, which is a huge academy in Napa, California. Um, this uh, school that he was playing for was kind of the fifth year prep school. So they would practice against each other. They saw Daniel, they liked what they saw. He has a pretty good international resume. He's played a lot of international basketball. And um, I, the, my favorite thing about him is how versatile he is. So six foot six point guard, you don't see that a ton. 
I don't like laying comps on people because then you, you know, fans will expect him to live up to that competence. Yeah. Like Lindsey Drew, right? Just a really long point guard. He rebounds a ton. He can make plays for others. He can score. Very good defender, can defend multiple positions, gets a lot of block shots because of that length. Um, obviously, there's a major adjustment coming from overseas over to America. I think the fact that he got to play in a prep school last year here helps him make that transition. And from all accounts, I know we haven't been able to go out to practice because of COVID, but everything I'm hearing about Foster is he's been really, really good in practice. So wouldn't be shocked if you see him in a reserve role, maybe 15 to 20 minutes. And uh, I think he can have a big impact in a variety of ways, given that versatility and size. One of the things I've heard about him, too, is that he's a smart player. Uh, Coach Alford in his bio is quoted as saying, a uh, tough-minded competitor who knows how to play the game. If you're hearing that from Coach Alford talking about a young man in his first year of college basketball, that's very high praise because anybody who knows Coach Alford knows that he demands smart players. He wants guys that aren't going to turn the ball over, that, that understand just how the game is played, how to win the basketball game. And it's the simplest, sometimes the simplest little tasks. One of the interesting things about Daniel Foster, Chris, he played Australian rules football in high school, lettered twice in it at 6'6", 185. I mean, I don't know. My, my knowledge of Australian rules football, I will admit, is uh, not great. I'm usually seeing it at 1 o'clock in the morning on Fox Sports 12 or something. But uh, watching those guys, I mean, this tells me he's he is a tough kid. Yeah, not a, a shy from physicality, right? I think that's yeah. a thing. And he's a he's a skinnier dude. I mean, he's going to have to put on some weight for sure. But if he doesn't mind going in there and playing some what is essentially rugby, uh, then it shows you that he likes the physical nature of the game. And that's the biggest for me. There's two things when you go from overseas to American college that are the biggest uh, jumps. It's the speed and aggressiveness of the game, which is something that Kane Milling from France, Nevada's uh, freshman last year kind of mentioned, is it's just a much quicker and aggressive game offensively. And then it's the physicality of it. Are you ready? Because overseas, it's, it's largely a jump shooting uh, kind of game. Uh, and even when you talk about the pros, you got to be able to make shots if you're going to make it. But you come here and everybody's so much more aggressive and they're going to attack the basket. They're going to try and get free throws. And if he's played Australian rules football, he clearly doesn't mind that physicality. So he'll be a fun player to watch. I think he could fill a variety of roles. He could be a point guard in the future. As I mentioned, he could beef up and be kind of a stretch uh, power forward down the line. So it'll be fun to see how Coach Alford and Coach Neal really develop him over the years. But um, I think he's more than capable of stepping in this year and, and giving Nevada some quality minutes. And, um, you know, it's uh, it'll be interesting to listen to his accent as well. I love Australian accents. So uh, I'm sure that'll be fun to listen to as uh, we get to interview him a little bit more and get to know him a little more. Just another example of this wave of youth and new faces that Coach Alford has said that he expects to have growing pains this year. But when you get young faces out there and they get some tread on the tires early in their careers, it does nothing but pay off. Usually that's usually what we expect is somebody goes through some bruises and, and maybe getting beat up a little bit as a freshman or a sophomore. I can't wait to see what Zane Meeks and Kane Milling and guys like that are when they're seniors. I mean, we've seen it at Nevada before when someone comes in as a very talented, highly touted freshman, if, if they're like a Ramon Sessions or a Deontay Burton who have to come in, uh, first year and start at a point guard position or Nick Vizikas, by the time they're done, they're legends. And, you know, it's just what Nevada fans are going to have to expect this year is, is a lot of youth. 
Yeah. And I mean, a lot of these guys are going to have to be competing for minutes as well. There's not going to be anything guaranteed this year at the freshman level because Nevada does have some pretty good uh, transfer veterans. And um, I think that will push the best out of them. Uh, not all these guys are going to make it. We've seen that. It's very, very rare for a four-year senior in college programs anymore. A lot of them transfer. A lot of them, uh, you know, don't get the playing time. and They just move on. So, um, you know, we can kind of project and guess who's going to be good in the future. But uh, odds are not all of these four freshmen, uh, you know, are here long term. It's just, uh, you know, will they have that competitiveness to continue to get better? And I think that's the biggest thing is will you listen to your coaches and continue to get that growth? Because history shows that Coach Alford can develop players over four years if you listen to them and let them develop your game. And, uh, you know, we'll see which ones pan out as the best players from this really good freshman class down the future. Well, you look you make a great point, Chris, and it, it immediately brought to mind that freshman class from years ago that was that was coming in with Kevin Panzer, Jordan Burris, uh, Devontae Elliott coming in, and uh, Jordan Finn. And there was so much expected of that class, and it literally never developed. Um, not saying that that's what's going to happen here, but you know it's easy to have high expectations of a of four guys that are on paper or five guys on paper that look really really good at 18 years old, and sometimes it just doesn't click and it just doesn't work out. And now everybody's transfer happy, so it's you know, who knows. Um, that was preseason poll has been uh, released you are a voter in that poll i'll get to your vote in a moment but nevada picked right in the middle of the pack yeah sixth which is kind of what you would expect i mean when you fill out these things it's what do you know about a team and with nevada you don't know that much i mean they lost literally 80 percent of their scoring in the offseason to graduation they lost 80 percent of their rebounding they lost 60 percent of their assists so you look at it on paper and you go okay these are some pretty good transfers you got some freshmen who can contribute you got zane meeks coming back and he could be an all-conference player down the road but they don't have those sure things like the teams above it san diego state which went 17 and 1 in the conference last year was picked to finish first followed by boise state which is probably the most talented team but a lot of inexperienced playing together uh right after them utah state uh unlv in there as well colorado state and they just have more sure things heading into the season doesn't mean that nevada can't overachieve the last time that they were voted sixth or lower in the preseason poll Eric Musselman's first year, they were picked to finish ninth and they finished fourth. So overachieved by five spots. If Nevada overachieves by five spots this week or this season, they would be first in the conference. So that might be a little bit lofty, but I do think that there's a high ceiling with this team, even though they're sixth, um, just because of those D1 transfers. These are guys who have proven they can play at the D1 level. They haven't played together. Um, but if they are able to kind of gel and coalesce, I think that Nevada could be a top three or four team in the league. Um, it, I think, you know, the top end of the league isn't quite as strong, but I think there's more depth uh, at the top half. I think the top five, six teams could all potentially be NCAA tournament teams. Whereas last year you just had San Diego state that was blowing everybody away as a top five team. I don't think you're going to have a juggernaut like this, that this year, which should make things a little bit more interesting in the top half of the league. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the top five, it's, they're, they're going to be dog fights, especially with this format. You know, if you can go and steal two games on the road, I mean, talk about a huge swing because you're, you're able to distance yourself or fall behind a single team literally in three days and, and that that to me is is absolutely crazy uh can we reveal where you put nevada yeah i put them sixth as well okay. um i think that's fair i think that's exactly where they should have been um i did vote for desmond cambridge's newcomer of the year from nevada and he'll be on uh, a call later today with steve alford they're doing their mountain west media days so we'll be able to talk with Desmond and coach Alford and hopefully get you some clips for tomorrow's show. But um, you know, it, it puts a little chip on the shoulder, right? This is a team that's finished in the top three of the conference the last uh, four years. They won it three times last year. They were third when nobody expected that from them. So uh, Nevada has the best coach in the league. If you ask me and Steve Alford. So 
there's going to be a team that's going to overachieve that ranking. I think Nevada is among them. Uh, I just go back to what do you know for sure about the team? And with this team, there are just so many question marks that I don't think you can go quite top two or three. But if they finish up there, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I actually had a, a booster who was texting me the other day and I asked me where I put him. I said six and they said way too low, way too low. Uh, I was very, very he loves his Wolfpack um, and he, you know, he's projecting really big things for him, but um, you know, we'll, we'll see, right. Time will tell. This is just a fun little thing to get people hyped for the season. But once the games are starting to get played, you know, things will shake out a little bit differently. Yeah. If you ask any coach, they don't give a crap about preseason polls. They want to care about how they finish the season. They don't give a crap what we think of what, uh, what it's just fodder to talk about this until the, the games arrive coming up next year on NSN daily Murray's mailbag, your questions, Chris's answers after the break. It is Wednesday, and that means Murray's mailbag time. Uh, every Sunday, Chris opens up the mailbag. Uh, follow him on Twitter, at ByChrisMurray, and um, he will answer your questions. Uh, uh, did you have any repeat offenders this week? Uh, it looks like we've had some people kind of back off of asking you seven, eight, nine questions. Yeah, I think the Twitter handle of mailbag question uh, asked like four or five, but okay. it's good. There were a lot of good questions. We're definitely getting more into sports questions, which I don't mind sports questions, but I kind of like the, the non-sports questions a little bit more, so. Throw me some non-sports, though. That, that's the thing. is, I, I mean, I'm the one who picks these questions for this show, and I like putting non-sports questions into this show. But, uh, you know, if you want to make the show, come up with something creative and, and uh, you know, make it, uh, make it interesting and fun, something that we can kick around. We talk about sports all the time. We, we like to take a few minutes to talk about food. or to, In this one, there's something about sledding. So, hey, um, I'm going to let you handle this first one, and it really isn't a question, and you handled it. Very gentlemanlike to start off. Uh, and Andrew Pang, I don't know Andrew. Andrew Pang 247 uh, is a writer for what, Spartan something? Spartan Sports or something? I'm not trying to be insulting. I just don't know. Um, the, the tweet goes, two years ago, by, at, by Chris Murray, wrote for the RGJ that the Mountain West should remove San Jose State. Tonight, San Jose State defeated, this is obviously earlier in the week, defeated the defending Mountain West Division co-champion San Diego State CC at old takes exposed. I don't know that the CC is necessary there, but Chris, I will let you respond to that. Uh, I mean, I've definitely been a San Jose state hater to a degree. I did write a couple of years ago that the mountain West should kick them out of the conference. But uh, the first six years, San Jose state was in the mountain West. They didn't have a winning record in football, men's basketball, women's basketball, or baseball in any of those six years, their overall record in those four sports, 246, 531, and one. So they were basically winning about 35% of their games in the major sports six years in. They've just been an anchor on the Mountain West. Um, uh, in addition to that, they were put on NCAA probation for some cheating. Um, they had a trainer who had to quit because of allegations into molesting student athletes. Um, th there was a lot of bad things going on in San Jose State. They had promised doing some facility builds in football uh, to join the Mountain West, and then they didn't actually do those facility builds. Um, they sold last year only $623,000 in tickets in all of its sports combined. So it just didn't seem to me that the Mountain West was adding very much to the conference. That's why I wrote about it at the time. And uh, I will say kudos to San Jose State. I did put them number one in my Mountain West football rankings this week. They are 3-0 and for the first time since 1982. If they beat UNLV uh, this week, they will be 4-0 and for the first time since 1955. So kudos to Brent Brennan for getting this thing turned around. But my analogy in the mailbag was... San Jose State basically rolled gutter balls for six straight years, and then they had a game where they rolled a 180 by beating San Diego State. 
and they want me to applaud them. Um, I, I feel good for San Jose State, but it's certainly the worst of the athletic departments in the Mountain West. And it's nice to see them make one, progress in one of the big revenue sports. But I'm going to have to see a little bit more before I'm uh, completely on that San Jose State bandwagon. If I'm a Spartan fan or alum, I'm feeling pretty good right now. I, I'm, I'm like, you know what? I've got a coach that looks like he's got kids to buy in. Now let's see one, one you're going to have to spend money to keep him because that's what we see in the Mountain West. What we see in mid-major conferences is, you know, you're going to have an Oregon State. You're going to have a, a, an Arizona State. You're going to have somebody maybe in an Indiana or an Illinois. Uh, Middle-of-the-road teams in Power Five conferences go, wow, look at what Brennan did with what was happening at San Jose State. Maybe he can do that here. Uh, maybe he can do that with us in Corvallis or, or us down here in Phoenix. You know, that's what happens. And I just, I don't, I don't know if San Jose State has the desire to spend that type of money on keeping a coach like that. Uh, that, The the funny thing about, okay, we have two undefeated teams in the Mountain West, Nevada and San Jose State. Both of those coaches were hired in the same cycle four years ago. Neither of them were coordinators. They kind of got made fun of. San Jose State uh, hired Oregon State's wide receiver coach in Brennan. Nevada hired Arizona State's wide receiver coach in Jay Norvell. Uh, Typically, you don't hire position coaches to run your team. Now both of them are the two best teams in the Mountain West. So, uh, you know, when hiring uh, hirings are made, people can mock them and whatnot, but you never know how a coach is going to turn out. And both of these guys seem to have turned their programs around and definitely have them on the right trajectory. All right, uh, let's move over to Jacob. Jacob uh, Holsizer, I hope I'm saying your name right, Jake. Appreciate the uh, question. Who has looked more impressive through three games? This one's a two-parter. The 2010 team or this year's team? Let's start with that. Uh, I'm going with the 2010 team. Uh, You look at the first three games that they played. They played a bad Colorado State team, but then they also played Eastern Washington, which won the FCS championship that year. That was a really, really good team. And then they beat a top 25 Cal team. And Nevada won those three games by a combined 91 points. You look at this year, the Wolfpack has played three teams that are currently one and eight combined. And the Wolfpack's only won those games by a combined 46 points, one of them going into overtime. So um, I I know people are going to want to compare this team if it has a really special run to 2010, but 2010 was a different beast. They had 13 future NFL players. Um, They played a top three team in the nation. Boise State won that game. They beat two uh, power five schools. Nevada's just not going to have the opportunity this year to do that, given where its schedule's at. Um, So it's been a great start for sure. But that 2010 team, even through the first three games, was more dominant against better competition than what we've seen so far this season. Yeah, no knock on what's going on right now. And I think there's, you might see, there might be half a dozen NFL players on this team or more. I mean, you, right off the top of my head, you go Romeo Dubs, Carson Strong, Elijah Cooks, Don Peterson. I think all four of them will have a chance to play at the next level. And then guys that are coming up through the ranks, you know, may may certainly come out and, and improve and become that level athlete. But I, I me too. I'm, I'm, I'm a 2010 when it comes to comparing first to through, for, uh, through the first three games. I'll go 2010. Um, will Strong and Dubs be the best quarterback wide receiver duo in Nevada football history? Hmm. That's tough. Um, I mean, I would probably put it Colin Kaepernick, Richard Matthews. I know they didn't put up crazy stats together just because that was a run oriented offense. Um, the other ones I listed, David Neal and Trevor Inslee in 1999. Inslee had a 2000 yard receiving year. Uh, Nate Burleson and Zach Redgill in 2002. Chris Vargas, Brian Reeves in 1993. And then Mike Maxwell and Alex Van Dyke in 1995. So, uh, I, I know Nevada's become a running team uh, over the last 15 to 20 years, but you look at the NCAA record book, there are a ton of Wolfpack wide receivers in the top tens in NCAA history and a lot of stats. So I wouldn't rule it out though. I mean, these are two really talented guys um, and you really do got to go back probably about 15, 20 years 
to get to, uh, you know, a, a group of guys that put up these kind of numbers while in college together. You go back to Burleson and Threadgill in 2002. So um, I think there's a possibility of it long term. I'm just not ready to go there through three games this season. No, I mean, for me, I don't know that you could even say there's a better season that's ever been put up better than David Neal and Trevor Inslee, 99. I mean, you're talking about a 2000 yard receiving season. Um, and Inslee to me, I, I still will, I'll debate anybody that Inslee is the best receiver that's ever played at Nevada college wise. He had a, a freak injury happen playing in the, in the NFL and he never really got his chance, but you know, nobody ran routes like Trevor Inslee. He didn't have breakaway speed. He didn't have that, but he was open every single stinking down um, at the end of their careers. Should dubs, and strong stay at Nevada, I think they can be the best duo to ever culminate and play together for that amount of time. You know, you're looking at being able to have these guys go um, up and down the field for, for years together. So I think, I think they've got a really good starting resume and uh, you got to stay healthy. Um, there is the, uh, there's the tantalizing uh, little carrot there. That is, you know, what if I head for the NFL draft a year earlier, whatever I want to do, I don't think either of them will do that. I don't think it'd be a good idea, but uh, if you're Carson strong and you're a quarterback, that that's the most prized possession in a draft. And if you look around and you don't have a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Herbert or, a, or a, 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 Bor a, a Joe Burrow out there, why not? You know, if you're a junior and you look around and there's like only two of the guys that look like you, Maybe you do go a year early. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, finally, Greg Wood at G Woods SF Bay always has good questions. I took part of his question. This is a snow question. Now that we finally had some snow, and it looks like we might get some more uh, Friday into Saturday. Um, do you prefer sledding or tubing with the family? Uh, I'll go with tubing over sledding. I'm a big tubing guy in general. Uh, we used to go tubing on uh, Topaz Lake like every weekend when I grew up in Gardnerville. Uh, obviously, that's the water variety. But uh, we've definitely gone tubing the last couple of years. Boreal has a great setup. Uh, it has basically a ramp that just takes you up there. You don't even have to climb up the hill. A little bit expensive, but it's definitely worth the price. And uh, uh, we've got some sleds in the garage as well. But I feel like you go a little bit faster in tubing. And I feel like a little bit safer, too. We used to have a toboggan, a wooden toboggan, kind of crunch into. It's all dangerous. You couldn't, you know, guide it quite as well as you, you do on a tube. So you're parsing hairs here, but I'm going to take a tube over a sled. A toboggan. That's a great word. I love that. That's a, that makes me feel like I should live in Minnesota. Like um, Christmas vacations. So Home Alone, the toboggan that he takes down the stairs, everybody knows how much I love Home Alone. It was basically yeah. that exact same toboggan. And it might be in my parents' attic. I don't know. I'll have to see. Uh, maybe I can uh, break it back out. But um, yeah, it's a uh, I, I love definitely I, I'm not a skier for sure, but I, I love getting up to the mountains when there's snow on the hill and doing a little bit of sledding. I, yeah, if I'm going to do that, I'm a tubing guy. I don't know that I can agree with the safety part of it, but then again, uh, we weren't all that safe when I was in the 18 to 22 year old range and going to college. Uh, a bunch of us, uh, before the, all the houses were really developed here in Northwest Reno, if you're coming up, uh, you're heading down uh, I-80 toward the, the city from the West. And if you look to the left, there's that big long hill. We drove trucks up there, got on that hill. And about half an hour into it, I think there were 10 or 12 of us, about half an hour into it, Got, I got down to the bottom of the hill and one of my buddies looks at me and goes, hey, do you think this is bad? And he had broken his wrist and it was literally just hanging. And I'm like, dude, you ruined the day. Come on. We had to take him to the hospital. But, uh, I don't know if it's legal, but the hill at McQueen High is perfect too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's that's a great hill, you know, for beginners. Uh, it's Washoe County School District. So I think it's a public property. Um, so if, if people are going out there to McQueen, I apologize. But that's a nice little hill to go to if you want to stay in town as well. Murray's Mailbag, it's... Uh, 
release every single Sunday at by Chris Murray. Uh, follow him on Twitter, and we answer questions here on the air on uh, Nevada Sportsnet every Wednesday, of course. So if you want to see the full mailbag, just go to NevadaSportsnet.com. Coming up after the break, we'll tell you about the Masters and how they're handling fans and John Rahm with a shot for the ages. That's coming up next. Well, the Masters this week, which is just weird in the first place to have the Masters in November, but there will be no fans there at Augusta National. Uh, Chris, there's a part of me that says, good. I want to see the beauty of this golf course without people going, you know, get in the hole, stuff like that. But fans are the juice that energizes that energize the players, too. What are your thoughts? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's kind of the cool thing about the Masters, right, is that they're also ni- ni- nicely tucked in. That when somebody gets an eagle on one hole, it reverberates around the course. And then, you know, as a player, uh, you're hearing that and maybe it gets into your mind. Uh, it's definitely the most beautiful course in America, one of the most beautiful in the world. And, um, you know, it's the smart decision not to have fans out there, but it's definitely going to change things a little bit. And maybe it does let the natural beauty of that place and the natural noises and ambiance kind of shine through a little bit more. But, um, you know, this is very much unlike a lot of different courses and tournaments because the fans play such a large role. So it'll be different for the players out there for sure, but just really great to see them be able to reschedule this thing, obviously seven or eight months after when we were expecting it to be played, but it's probably the most important tournament of the year for the golfers on the PGA tour. So for them to be able to get it in now, and then they're actually going to play it again next April. So you're going to have two masters within about five months span. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how Tiger does as well. I know everybody loves watching Tiger Woods play. It hasn't played well of late, but the defending champion and the masters always brings out the best in it. This to me, it's going to remind me of playing around at Edgewood when, you know, maybe early morning or there's nobody around and you hear the echo of the crack of the golf ball off of the trees and that sort of thing. But the players this week have really talked about how, you know, it maybe they wouldn't get juice off the fans uh, or whatever, but it would let them know what was happening ahead of them or behind them, say Tiger's behind them. And last they saw a Tiger was two behind them and you hear a roar from the crowd and it's kind of like a, an audio scoreboard. You can hear when somebody does something, something great. Uh, this week, do you have a favorite? Who do you think, uh, who do you think's up there? I mean, we're going to talk about John Rahm in a minute and I think Rahm might be one of those guys, but does Bryson DeChambeau, you know, I mean, who do you, who do you like? I mean, he's been the best player since they resumed play for sure. Uh, I mean, his, his style is very interesting. It's basically just hit it as far as I can and then scramble from there and it's worked out. Uh, and, you know, the Masters has been known to have to tiger proof the course back in the past because people were kind of just bombing down. And, uh, you know, the the rough wasn't quite as punitive as it was at like the U.S. Open or the British Open. So uh, he's the favorite going into it. Um, I, I would probably put my money on him, but uh, you don't get a lot of money if you pick somebody who's uh, favored to win. So if you're going to go, uh, you know, with a little bit of somebody who's maybe not quite as favored, I'd go with Roy McIlroy. I mean, Rory's just been He's been a good player of late, but he hasn't been great in the majors, which is crazy because he went on that run where people were kind of projecting a Tiger Woods run for him like four or five years ago where he'd win all these majors. Um, I think he's very comfortable on that course. He's done well on the course before. So if you want to pick somebody who's maybe not in the top three or four favorites, I'd probably go with Rory. Now, here's my pro tip of the week. This is my lock. Don't pick Sergio Garcia. Um <laughs> Yeah, Sergio had to remove himself because of COVID. Uh, One last thing. I want to show you this highlight once again. If you haven't seen it, I know it's been everywhere. 16th hole, and on Tuesdays, they have the par three contest. Uh, The 16th hole, well-known by the players of skipping their ball across the water. Of course, they never do this in competition. But John Rahm, with a shot for literally the ages, knocks it in 
a hole in one by skipping it across the water, Chris. The only time I've ever had something like this remotely happen, we played at Red Hawk and it was there, what, what, probably one, two, I think it's hole three uh, along the entryway. And there's that long pond and it was frozen. And I hit my drive and I hit it right along the water and doing, 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 and it kept going. Of course, it didn't go in the hole, but it got close to the green. That was amazing. Yeah, I mean, so very, very impressive for sure. You want to make it more impressive? Do it in an actual round. Yeah. Take the risk oh. of skipping it. I know Vijay Singh did this probably about a dozen years ago as well. But um, as we've said on the show before, I've never gotten close to a hole in one. And these guys are just skipping balls off a lake and still getting a hole in one. That just shows you how good they are. Obviously, a little bit of luck involved. But, um, you know, that's a really, really cool moment. Uh, obviously, they always have like the little par three tournament leading up to it. And a lot of times families are involved. So great shot by John Rahm. Maybe maybe it's a foreshadowing. If he goes out and he wins it, uh, it'll all day back to that. Who knows? Who knows? Coming up next year on NSN Daily, a former member of the San Francisco Giants is suing his former club. That's coming up next. Welcome back to NSN Daily. Uh, you know, just a weird, this is just an odd thing. Um, Mac Williamson, former outfielder for the Giants, is suing the Giants uh, because he suffered a concussion on a play in 2018. He was chasing down a foul ball, tripped over the bullpen mound, hit his head on the sidewall, suffered a concussion. And uh, he claims this was an avoidable accident and that it ended his career. Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it's just a sad story. He said he's been suffering it and it's changed his life the last couple of years. And as we've learned, concussions is nothing to mess with. And the Giants have moved their bullpens uh, beyond the outfield fence. So they clearly thought it was an issue. Um, whether he's going to win that suit, I mean, that seems a little bit far-fetched. Um, obviously not a legal expert. I just don't know uh, what his case would be that would actually earn him monies that he's looking for um but it's just it's just sad to see someone's career potentially derailed i mean he was kind of an up and down player anyway from AAA, but um you know to have long lasting effects by something that probably could have been preventable if they just had put the bullpens in the outfield uh you know it's just a very very sad story and, and more than anything is that somebody who's only 30 years old mac um, i just hope that he's able to get back uh, to where he was physically with his health and that the concussions don't drag on for the rest of his life yeah, the lawsuit actually targets the China Basin Ballpark Company, a subsidiary of the team that owns and operates the stadium. Uh, in 2018, the Giants were just one of three teams in the majors that had bullpens in the field of play. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, it is Veterans Day. We just want to say thank you. And that's coming up next. Wrap things up on NSN Daily. It is November 11th, Veterans Day. Chris, and I know that means a lot in the Murray household. Yeah, my dad served in the Vietnam War in the Navy, so uh, very, very proud of his service. And uh, I always love that this holiday and Election Day, when they kind of coincide in the same month, because it shows you um, why you should go out and vote, why people work so hard and put their lives on the line for you to have that ability to cast a ballot. So it was just great to see the turnout was so high this year. Thank you to my dad for all of the veterans who are out there and watch this show for their service and for their ability to give us the freedoms that we do uh, you know, cherish very deeply. No doubt. I, I have a, a very large place in my heart for those who have served, do serve, and will serve. And uh, yeah, I always make a phone call to my dad, who uh, also served in Vietnam in the Army. Uh, he doesn't talk about it a whole lot. Uh, my Both of my grandfathers were, my grandfather, my mother's side was a Navy contractor in the, in the shipyards. And, and my grandfather, my dad's dad, was a career Army and uh, served in, uh, in World War II and Korea. So uh, yeah, thank you very much to everyone who has served and will serve uh, and is serving our country. That'll do it for NSN Daily. I'm Brian Samudio. For Chris Murray and Anthony Resnick, on tomorrow's show, we'll introduce you to the newest member of the NSN team. She is coming. <laughs>
That's next.